You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. Listen to the podcast at all for the last little while. You have heard mainly me talk about VR a lot. I will openly admit to that, and there's a lot of different reasons, and I'll get into those as we keep going on here tonight. Part of the reason why I've been so excited for VR is, of course, because it is a it's not a new platform. However, it is so refined in what it presents from what we've been used to in decades gone by that it is in fact new and it presents a new console experience for many players. It's not an experience that will per se replace what you are currently using, be it a console like the PS4 or the Xbox One, or if you are a PC gamer, but rather it's something that you do in addition to those at different times when you feel like it. The idea of being fully immersed in this VR environment and not wanting to do anything else is something that you'll see in anime, certainly, but is not yet a reality, and I don't think that we're at that point for a while yet. However, for ground-level entry it is still leaps and bounds ahead of what we would expect right now. I had not expected that we would see something this soon, this good. Is it flawless? Not by any stretch of the imagination. But it presents a gaming opportunity that many of us have not seen in our lifetime yet. And by that I mean, once again that ground floor approach to a new console and that excitement for what it'll bring in years to come. Now, when the Sony has talked about the PSVR in the past, they've compared it essentially to their PS1, where it is that entry level, and it's only going to get better from there. And the way that I've looked at it is that it reminds me very much of that new console, wherein the first games that you get on the new consoles are typically not the best. Some of them will do things fantastically, but even those will likely have issues with them as well. And it's once the developers have really gotten a handle on the hardware and the software, and have also thought to, started thinking in original ways of how to not just use the hardware, but use it in a manner that is natural for us as gamers. That's what we're looking forward to. Now, I picked up a PSVR, of course. I ordered it on as soon as it was available for pre-order, and I was lucky enough that it actually arrived on release day, so I was, I was pretty excited there. One of the other reasons why I was excited for it, and again, for anybody who's listened to the podcast in the past, probably has heard me comment on my disability and the fact that I I live with chronic pain. And that's why I sometimes sound like a demon. (laughs) It's because of (laughs) painkillers and pain without getting too personal about it. It, it, depending on the type of chronic pain that you have, and this is fairly common. A lot of people live with chronic pain, so I'm not trying to make myself out to be the martyr here. Depending on the kind that you have, 
sometimes you get to that point where you have tried damn near all kinds of pain relief and they don't work for one reason or another. And I was in that boat to the point of doctors at pain clinics saying, that's it. This is your last try. And then after that, there's nothing else that we can do. And so, and this being, of course, medication, not the PSVR. But what I started doing... If a doctor prescribed the PSVR. Yeah, that would be awesome. Can I get a prescription for that so I can write that shit off? That'd be awesome. But one of the reasons why I was looking forward to it was because in addition to following a lot of developers who are making games for it and experiences, I've also been following people who are doing experiments for pain relief specifically and other things as well, be it dealing with anxiety or other uh, emotional issues as well or mental, mental disabilities. But there's a lot of work that's being done specifically for pain relief. Now, this is something that I had done a lot of reading. Of course, when you're in that situation, you try to find anything that will help. And I've done a lot of of reading and things like that for how games, just period, not a, a VR unit, but just gaming, how that helps with chronic pain. And it does by an insane amount. It's ridiculous how much gaming will help with chronic pain because it takes your mind away from the pain in so much as it can, depending on the the spikes and things like that when it gets really bad. The VR aspect is interesting because of the fact that it completely immerses you. And so, again, they've done the studies to the point of doing studies with people in, in MRI machines and other uh, types of, of machinery that can monitor the brain where there are flare-ups when there is pain and monitoring that when somebody is using a a VR unit and not. And you can see the studies are showing it does actually work. So this is when you are at the end of your rope and and in pain 24-7, that's very enticing. I got to say, like, really, really enticing. So I've been very much looking forward to this. Now, I couldn't afford to buy the Rift or the Vive, and so I still have not tried those but of course the the psvr was substantially cheaper especially if you already had a ps4 which we do so it was one of those okay this is going to be the one now that's not to sell it short because for the things that it does not do as well as the other two by sheer virtue of the fact that the screen's not quite as clear and the um it employs technology like the move controllers that is old it's like from 2010 as opposed to the IR, the lasers that you get with the other two. It makes up for that by sheer virtue of the fact that there's a lot of games coming out for it. They've got the support of Sony, and they're really pushing hard to make this work. So I hooked it up, and I did start going through the demos for the most part right now. I've bought a couple of games, but I haven't gone through those entirely yet, so I'll be reporting on those fully later on as I play them. But... I did go through a number of the, the demos that that, uh, that you can get right now. And as Karen went through a few, my wife and, and my son as well, my youngest son. The Again, I've had a lot of people asking me since I've gotten it what I think of it. And a lot of people by now, if they were interested in the unit at all, have read the reports or watched the videos from people far more intelligent than I talking about it. So you probably know a lot about it. So I'm not going to harp on, again, a lot of the the technicality behind it and whatnot. You already know that stuff. There is, yes, there is a screen door effect 
because the screens are not as good. Yes, there is some blurring. It's not a 4K display. You're not getting that. And I'm not crazy about the fact that you cannot individually adjust the each of the lenses so that you can get it clear. Instead, you're left with finicking with the, the headset and quite literally a little up looks great. A little down, blurry. So you got to get used to that sweet spot. And once you figure it out, it's not hard to slap it on and to get it to that point. And then you're tightening it at the back anyway, so it's not moving around. The, um, the, the, the comfort level is ridiculously good. I, I cannot compare it to the other two because, like I said, I haven't tried the other two. But just from wearing this for hours and not just playing games, but also I've been watching shows on it as well, which I'll get into in a little bit using the cinema mode. But the comfort level is really good. Like you, it, it is so well balanced on your face that your neck doesn't get tired. It doesn't feel bad at all. The only discomfort I had was when I was watching a, a show, I was leaning back in the chair. So it was kind of pressing because I didn't have a, pull, a pillow to kind of wrap around it. So it was, it did kind of press in the back of my head. But I mean, that's, that's my fault. I just wasn't seated comfortably with it. In terms of immersion, the games that worked well worked really, really, really well. There were a few games, most notably Rigs and Drive Club VR, which caused nausea for me instantly. And that's one of those things where you can't really muscle through it. It, if it causes nausea, stop playing. It's it's that simple. It's not going to get better. It really doesn't. In fact, it gets worse. The longer you feel this way, the longer you're going to feel like crap afterwards as well. Because I did try to muscle through and it did not pay off at all. And then the other times I went, nope, I know this feel. Stop. And then I was. it didn't take long. It, it kind of went away. But just to say, Riggs was really bad for me. Because, again, it's it's all about what your brain thinks your body should be doing as opposed to what your brain is seeing your imaginary body doing. And if those two things don't match up, boom, that's it. You're going to feel like crap for some people. And I don't get, like, seasick. I don't get ill, nausea, playing games, never. And this made me feel that way. Meanwhile, my son played rigs, loved it, did not feel sick in the least. So it's a hit or miss. And that's where I'm really hoping that most developers will be offering uh, demos for their games because mm-hmm. it would suck to spend, as an example, E-Valkyrie on the Canadian side is 80 bucks oh. for the game that has the game and there's a the Founders Pack or whatever, but it's the only one that's available. It's $80. Imagine paying that, spending two minutes in the game and realizing that you can't play it because it makes you nauseous. So that's going to be something that is going to make it people less apt to splurge and just buy because they think like I, my little Tomb Raider purchase (laughs) at night when I was (laughs) high on pain meds, that's not likely to happen with VR games because I'm going to know better and say, no, no, I know I, I might feel like crap. So you're going to need to really do your homework, watch videos and guess whether this is the type of gameplay that you would like or not. There was another game that I tried the demo of, uh, Here They Lie, I believe it's called, and it's a horror game, and I thought, oh, yeah, this is going to be right up my alley. I'll love this. I'll give it a shot. And I tried the demo, and because of the the way that they set up the move, it, because it's not natural, 
it, it was again nausea almost instantly. Yeah, I saw I saw a little video of that today, and it, the uh, the the reviewer was not too kind to it either. But like just watching him play it, like I was looking, I was like, that doesn't like even just me watching it on YouTube. I'm like, that doesn't seem like it would be a good VR experience. No, no, and I was hoping that it would be, and. I that's actually one of the ones that I tried to muscle through and I thought, okay, I really want to see this through because, again, these these horror games in VR really have me excited. So did you try Resident Evil? Oh, I'm getting to that. (laughs) (laughs) But but this one here, I, I just couldn't do it. So that is something that you have to keep in mind. The other thing to keep in mind is, as I was saying earlier, where a lot of the the games that first come out just won't look as good and initially i was wondering okay is this like the unit is or something wrong what about this blurriness or whatever and then i realized no it's the game because i went into drive club vr which you know i love racing games the idea of a vr racing game oh has me so excited and the fact that you're in a cockpit essentially would lead you to believe that you'd be all right. There would not be any nausea because that's one of the things with this. If you are in a cockpit of sorts, be it a ship, a car, a roller coaster, your body, your mind has that frame of reference of what you're in and then you're fine. Like you Valkyrie didn't bother me at all. In fact, I'll get to that. It was fucking awesome. (laughs) Drive club VR, instant nausea. I didn't think it handled well at all for a racing game and it was ugly. It was horrible horribly ugly not because of the blurry dust it just looked like shit meanwhile a, a small game like um what is it wayward sky wayward skies or sky i can't remember now you'll have to forgive me wayward sky i only played the demo but i'm going to be buying this one here it looked it has a, a stylish look it's not uber realistic and that works in this environment your brain accepts that like it can look like a Pixar show. Your brain accepts that's where you are. And the clever way that Wayward Sky handles movement, handling different things, also taking you out of first person and putting you in third person to move your character around with the move controller and point and then your little character that you can like lean in and just look at really close and it looks like this little plasticine doll and then you can move it around kind of thing and then when you reach something that needs to be interacted with boom you're there and that was fucking cool as shit and i really enjoyed from the demo at least the little bit of the story that was there so it's all about how it was developed and that's going to lead to even with ground like basement level games still going to give you a great experience thumper another example that's one i bought outright because you saw the video for that and it was like yeah this looks cool i cannot compare i can't i can't even describe the difference between seeing it on a screen because i also watched it on tv while my son was playing seeing it and going oh that's kind of cool and when you're in it When you're in that game, and it's a very simple kind of racer with music, and it's trippy as fuck, (laughs) but it is so cool. It is so much fun. And this is where we go back to what I was saying about, does it work with pain relief? And that's something, a perspective that I can offer that not necessarily everybody else can. I did everything sitting down, of course. 
I could have stood. And as on days where my knees are doing better, I will because it's going to offer me some exercise, doing a few things, moving around kind of thing, while allowing me not to concentrate on the pain because I'm concentrating on what's going on on the, the VR screen. So I'm looking forward to, to that as well. But I, I have been doing it sitting down and I've played it a few times now on days that were bad, where it really fucking hurt. And because I because I just got it and I'm still kind of experimenting with it, I'm while I'm in it trying to determine, OK, is it taking pain away or not? And so I'm actively thinking about it periodically. And it's only in those moments that I'm going, OK, is it hurting? And then I realize, like, fuck, yeah, it still hurts. But then the moment I'm back in and doing something, I'm not thinking about it. And it's it's amazing. Okay, I, I can't stress this enough. If you are someone who suffers from chronic pain and you have the money to invest in something like this, I'm sure you can find a game that will do that for you as well. I'm almost positive of it. It's not a cheap investment if you don't have all the, the components because you also need the camera. You you do need the, the two move controllers for some of the games just because it is that much more immersive and then to, to buy the games that you need as well. But holy fuck, is it ever nice. And that Thumper game was a perfect example of that because I could play that shit for hours and have a blast and not think for one moment about the pain. And it was great. Trippy as fuck, but great. (laughs) (laughs) And that's another one that Tristan tried as well, and he adored it. Then there's Until Dawn, Rush of Blood. (laughs) (laughs) If there's a game that I think everybody has to try... Even if you don't like horror games, this is kind of that one because it puts it into perspective. And I was explaining it to my son before he tried it because I was there's one scene where this massive, ridiculously frightening clown face comes out. And this is after other scary shit has happened. Okay, a lot of scary shit has happened by this point. But you you see this clown and it's like, oh my fucking lord. When you're watching it in a trailer or when you're watching it on TV, because once again, I watch my son playing it also. It's, it's there, it's imposing, and you're going, oh, that's kind of cool. But one of the things to keep in mind about VR is that, and this was explained really a lot better than I could ever explain it, but it was explained in a video that I watched some time ago for Gear VR for somebody who had hacked their phone to be able to play Elite Dangerous. And they were talking about how imposing the size of a sun, a star or or a planet is when you're getting close to it as opposed to watching it on your screen. And it's because there's something at the back of your neck that sends a trigger to your brain that when you tilt your head up, it tells your brain what you're looking at is big and has scope. And it's as simple as that. And when you are playing a game on your screen, that doesn't happen. So your brain does not register what you're seeing as big and imposing, even if it is large in comparison to your character. When you're in VR, however, it's everywhere. And it is fucking huge. Like even Thumper, some of the levels, the boss levels, you get these weird-ass fucking heads coming out (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and and you got to shoot things into it and whatnot. And when you're watching on screen, it's like, eh, whatever. When you're seeing it for real, it's like, holy shit, look at the size of this thing. And that's what those clown faces were. They would just come out and you're like, oh, my God, this is like a couple of stories high. It's unbelievable the presence it has on you. 
and uh, Russia of Blood, you're you're in a, a roller coaster that's going through this quote unquote funhouse. Not so much fun, I assure you. And you're even going through like a pig slaughterhouse. There's pigs squealing all around you. And plus, I was using the um, uh, the Sony Gold headset that I bought for for the PS4 when it was on sale. So I'm actually getting the sound from both sides and everywhere. Like it it, it does a really good job of putting you in that space. And there's like these spinning blades with covered in blood and whatnot. And it is, again, I, I know I felt it as I was playing it and I watched my son. You recoil from them. They can't touch you. They're not really there. <laughs> but you recoil and you move your shoulder so that they don't hit you. And then when the the clowns start rushing you, you're wigging the fuck out. <laughs> like, I mean, you got a couple of shots from your shotguns and then you have to be pressing the button on the top to, to reload. And... Tristan did the same thing as I did. You panic and you're like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. And then you press on the button and hurrying up to reload. And those fucking clowns are like on top of you. They wanted to kill you. And it was awesome. The, the, the graphics weren't perfect by any stretch, but they were actually pretty good. And you don't really think of it while you're in such a hectic environment, but it's a perfect example of, of an experience that you can have that is that, that, tricks your brain into thinking you are there there's no if ands or buts about it your mind is saying you're you're here and it's scary as fuck and that's the kind of experience once again that you're not thinking about pain you're not thinking about anything other than saving your own fucking skin because it is that well done and then the um e-valkyrie is one of those i'm going to be watching for when it does go on sale because it's too expensive to outright buy right now, especially because I only played that. The demo is not very long. The graphics weren't off the charts, but you sit down and you look and you're in that fucking cockpit. Like you are in this ship. There's these holographic kind of displays above and around you. There's the, the guns on either side of you, the great big, kind of Gatling gun things on either side of you. You've got your controls. You look down and there's fake hands, but they're supposed to be yours. And you even see legs like sitting down. So again, if you're sitting, it feels very natural for your brain. And then you're out, you're flying, you're in space. And then there was, I'd have to get used to it because the gunfight was really hard to handle the the ship. But I know that you'd get used to that over time. But yeah, you're in there. It, It was really, really quite cool. And then uh, what else? I have not tried the Batman uh, one because I'm going to have to be purchasing that one. So I, I put it uh, off to the side for now. Um, I didn't play the the tank one battle zone, but Tristan did. And he freaking adored it. But watching him play, I thought that might be one of the ones that makes me sick just because of the strafing that goes on when mm-hmm. you're playing it. So I'm a little worried about it, but he, he swears by it. He loved that game. And... I, you get a demo also for the harmonics music VR, which it's kind of a proof of concept for the most part. There's there's different elements to it that they they show you, and one of it is is quite literally you can use your own music or you can use whatever songs they have, and you just kind of use the VR helmet to to look around, and as you focus on something, it'll trip out in some form of colors or floating flowers or whatever to go along with the music. So it's just that kind of experience of how do you want to listen to your music? If 
I'm the type of person, and I know Joe is as well. I don't know about you so much, but like music means a ton to me. Always has. I've been playing guitar since I was six years old. I'm not the greatest at it, but music is important to me. And I'm the type of person that if I go out and buy a new vinyl album, I won't just put it on in the background. I will literally pour myself a glass of wine, put the music on, and listen to it. So to me, it's not always just background. I I enjoy listening to music and, and giving it my full attention. So something like this, where you can pump in your music and just experience it with weird, trippy things happening... Okay, it, it's interesting. I don't know that I do that often, but it's it's all right. They had a couple of other little modes that eh, I wouldn't even touch. But they also had an easel portion where you can paint. And it's kind of like you must have seen the videos for Tilt Brush, which is out mm-hmm. on, I think, both Rift and Vive, but I'm not sure. And so they have their version of that, which is a lot more simple. And they're the different quote unquote brushes that you can choose from are, are not like paint brushes so much as kind of odd shapes and whatnot. And then what happens is that as you paint with them, they kind of uh, pulse with the beat of the music, which is interesting and you can make some cool stuff with it. But what's funny is that um, Joe and I have watched a lot of those tilt brush videos. Whenever there's a one on kind of thing, we're sending each other links and saying, you should watch this. This is awesome. And the idea of painting in 3d is, is really, really cool. And even though I've seen a ton of those videos, it wasn't until I was in it and doing it and you're doing the drawing in 3d and you're like reaching through something you've drawn to draw something else through there. And then it's all kind of pulsing with the music kind of thing. It was so fucking cool. Like it's, <laughs> I, it was one of those things that my, my wife's an artist and I had to say like, you need to come and try this. Okay. Just, just trust me on this one. You need to come and try this. And even she, even she was going, this is cool. And, and, and Tristan as well. It's just something that you have to experience to, get just how awesome it is to wave your hand in front of your face and a line appears and you can grab it and move it with the other controller. You can do some other shit around it, change the brushes, sizes, everything. And you can create this three dimensional piece that you can walk around or reach through or whatever. I I won't be buying this, but as soon as a dedicated paint program does come out, which might be Dreams from Media Molecule. I don't know. We'll see when it comes out. Definitely picking one up. I have to because it was it's that freaking awesome. And then what else did I try? I tried um, the the one where you go underwater, but the 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 demo disc that you get, I thought it was it had more to like. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot to it, but I thought it was unlocked kind of thing what you got, but it's not. You you have to pay if you want the full experience from those they only give you a hmm. taste so the um the the underwater one where you go down in a, a cage you don't do the shark one that one's locked but you just do one where you go underwater and there's stingrays that go around you and, and jellyfish and all that and even just that even though there's really not a lot to it you're literally just sinking underwater and looking at marine wildlife it's fucking cool as shit like once again you're you're underwater and it is so cool to see all these these things swimming all over the place around you. And it was it was really quite cool. So 
as I pick up more games and as more games come out, because there are still a number of games that are going to be coming out before year end and continually afterwards as well, I'll be making sure to, as I've been talking about VR, I'm going to continue talking about it because there are a lot of things coming out that I'm justifiably really, really excited for. Like Resident Evil 7, Biohazard, when that comes out, I'm there. I freaking right. There's that Weeping Dolls one. Oh my God, I want to play that. There's a bunch of scary ones that I cannot wait to play. And also I'm excited for the interactive storytelling as well aspect. And that's something that I talked about before. There's a lot of cool things that can be done just from a storytelling standpoint. And I think that a lot of VR people are going to be just as interested in those experiences as they would be with an actual game. Uh, case in point, Elumet, which is on, you can get the demo and, and look at that as well, is a beautiful little story. I didn't. I did the demo, I didn't do the full game, or movie, whatever you want to call it, experience. But even just that really opens your eyes to this storytelling that is like nothing you've seen before. It's not like watching a 3D movie at all. You're there and you can kind of move around and you can zoom in and, and look in at everybody. And that's kind of really cool. And it really offers a lot of unique possibilities for um, uh, storytellers moving forward, be it the big ones like your, your Pixar's and your Disney's and whatnot, as well as just anybody with the spare time. Like I follow a bunch of VR devs now and some of them is just like one or two people working on these experiences and it's going to take them a while to get it out, but I'm really looking forward to what they're doing based on the little bit that they've shown already. Cause there's some really cool stuff that could be done with this. Look forward to it. Yeah. So, and then in terms of the, the cinema mode, because that's another thing too. I had wondered about that before. Is it worth playing non VR games on this screen it really depends on the game. The, the 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 cinema mode, you've got three sizes screen. The small size, which still amounts to a big screen. Like if you were sitting and looking at a TV screen, you'd probably looking at, I don't know, maybe a 60 or bigger screen kind of thing, widescreen. But it it's not fixed. So it follows your eyes as you move your head. It follows you which can be really annoying if you're looking around. Um, but the advantage is, is that because it is smaller, it is actually more crisp than if it's closer to you. But again, it's one of those where you want to make sure that it's more so if you're watching a TV or a movie kind of thing, then you just lean your head back and then you're not going to move. And then it's, it's really quite good. The medium mode is a, an IMAX and you're not in the first row of seats, but you're 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 a few back, but you're you're still pretty close. And you can see everything on the sides as well. And but there's areas of focus more, like the center, and it kind of loses some of that focus as it goes towards the edges. So if there are people talking on the screen, you find yourself moving side to side. But in this case, it's nice because the screen is fixed, so you don't have to worry about it jittering or anything, and you just look side to side to see what's going on. And then the large is bigger than IMAX where you literally, you have to look all around to be able to see everything. And so I tried that for a while and I wasn't as crazy about it, but 
the the medium size was actually quite good. I watched some TV shows with it, and I I watched some of uh, Ip Man on it as well. And because we're going to be doing that for Popcorn Ronin in in an episode in the future, so I've been watching those again. And I was kind of disappointed that I'd watched the first one on my screen. I watched it on my TV, uh, my 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 iMac, which is a 5K display. Now I, the, the version I had wasn't 5K, but it was still Blu-ray, so it still looked really really good. And I was like, damn, I would have preferred watching this actually on the VR unit, <laughs> even with the screen door effect. On some shows, that doesn't matter because it doesn't have to look crisp. The grittiness actually, to a certain degree, adds to the mm-hmm. film even, and it's that presence. It's that feeling like you're in your own little theater because everything's black around you and it kind of fades at the edges even. So it really feels like you're at a theater. You don't have to worry about anybody kicking your seat or making noise. And it is really, really quite nice. I I wouldn't suggest it for all movies, like I said, but for a lot of them, it actually, it works. And I really, really dug it. And it was as I, I keep a fan, I tend to get really warm, so I keep a fan on me in in the living room anyway. But I found that if the fan wasn't on, like, you do feel around your eyes, it does get to, it gets warm. And that's something that I've heard other reviewers talk about as well, that it, it gets kind of sweaty under your eyes, and sometimes the, the, the lenses will fog up. So I just keep the fan on me, and I've never, I didn't have a problem. Like, I watched for hours and played for hours, and it didn't fog up at all, but that's because I, I kept the fan on me. But you keep the fan on you and, and lean back comfortably and you could watch a movie in a very, very comfortable position. Hell, you could recline all the way back because at that point it doesn't need to track your face kind of thing because it's not a game. And, yeah, you feel like you're at a theater watching this fantastic this show. So, yeah, I, I really dug it for that. So that's about it for, for that. Like I said, as more comes out, I will be talking about it. I... um I got a copy of, uh, damn it, I got Thumper, I got, what was the other one? I just picked one up that was on sale. Don't, don't mind this. Foot robot Dolph? <laughs> no, I didn't get that. <laughs> oh, The Assembly, because that sounds really cool. So it was a good sale, so I went, yeah, I'll give it a shot, and I bought Thumper. And I'm going to be picking up Batman because you have to. It's kind of the one that you have to buy. And there are some other ones that are going to be coming out that I'm dying to play. And also I reached out to some devs and the devs behind Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes sent me a copy. So I'm going to be playing that. Oh, my God. But you need to be with other people for that one. Mm-hmm. That's one of the nice things about the PSVR as well is that you can have experiences where people are doing something on the TV with their controllers and you don't see it at all. And so you can do your own thing. So that's going to be awesome for those experiences. So I'm, I'm waiting to play that one with uh, probably Tristan, actually. And so that, that'll be a lot of fun. And so that's it. So that's uh, for right now, VR. Again, I've had a number of people saying, should I buy into this? And the answer really depends on what you're expecting and what, what you're expecting and what you'd like to get out of it as well. Like, are you expecting 4K? And what are you, do you want to play games? Do you want it for cinema mode? Do you want experiences? What is it that you want out of this unit? You have to understand that it is not 4K displays. It's not crystal clear. But you also have to understand that it doesn't always have to be either. Certain experiences, that doesn't matter. And your brain gets used to it and doesn't, it, it really doesn't matter. 
but some things are so badly coded and they're designed that you will notice immediately. So try before you buy or watch the videos kind of thing. And then if you are looking for, as I was, something for, be it pain relief, um, anxiety relief, any other thing where you can feel like you are being transported somewhere else for a while, and you, especially if you have a PS4 already, if you have the money to buy it, I say, yeah, it, for me, it is not only worth it, but it's also sending that clear message to Sony as well as the devs that we are ready for this right now. And that means that there'll be better games coming down the pipe. There will also be a PSVR two at some point, better controllers because the tracking, like I said, isn't always the best. It's not horrible, but it's not always the best. So all of these things will be improved upon over time. And it's going to be, if there is enough interest that we're going to see this huge leap and it is a massive leap. It's not a little jump forward, a step. No, this is big. And I can't stress that enough. And I was around in the day when you had the crappy VRs back from the eighties, nineties. Like I experienced that shit and had the presence of mind that I wasn't just wowed by it, but like, could appreciate what was good and what was bad with it at the time. This is not that. This is mainstream VR that is not going to break your bank, that depending on the game that you try will amaze you and you will want to show other people and say, you have to try this. This is fucking awesome. That's That wow factor is something that as more and more games come out that are going to make use of that, it's going to keep it alive. So with that, let's move on. We have actually got an interesting show tonight. You will have noticed that Joe is not here right now. However, I'm going to be splicing him in because due to scheduling conflicts, we're not recording on our Monday night and not everybody can record the same night. So Joe and I are going to be talking about the WoW Patch 7.1 as well as some news on Prey, and we're going to do that later. So it's going to cut to that later. But uh, Vince and I are going to touch on some other MMOs as well as some other games as well. And let's start out with uh, Final Fantasy XV's announcement of the new expansion. Did you even know that was coming down the pipe? Uh, no, I, I haven't been taking uh, keeping too much track of the news because I haven't played in quite a while. But as far as I know, this was pretty unexpected from a lot of people. Like everybody was expecting some sort of announcement, but I don't think a lot of people were expecting a new expansion. Yeah, I certainly wasn't. Because uh, Heaven's Word came out when? The last one. Exactly, yeah. And uh, they're still putting out a pretty steady stream of content as well. Like this isn't a you know an eighteen month drought like some other games would have. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, they're still working on you know the three point whatever patches three point five comes out next month I think or a couple weeks away. So like they're they're still cranking out content for the current expansion while they're working on the next one. So there's a lot of great stuff here. But yes, Stormblood is the name of the next expansion. And as with Heaven's Ward. God, that was an amazing trailer. The animation I, I, was just ridiculous. I had no clue what was going on, but it was goddamn gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> well, what we see in the trailer here is the Warrior of Light, which is their default player character stand-in for the animated trailers. As we said, when Heaven's Ward came out, they've been changing his class with each expansion. He started off as a warrior. In Heaven's Ward, he became a dragoon because that was the, the whole thing they were doing there. And now in Stormblood, he has become a monk. And I did a little reading up because this is actually really important to what's going on in this particular expansion. 
for the main story of Stormblood, you are now going on the offensive against the Garlean Empire, which is you know the big bad empire that's trying to take over the world by joining the resistance and freeing the nation of Alamigo. Uh, the Alamigans have been very underrepresented in 14, like for a reason, like they were not very well liked. Uh, they, they waged some wars against Gridania in the past. So when their nation got conquered and everybody was like, they were refugees, nobody wanted to take them in. It's kind of relevant. <laughs> but, uh, so now that uh, the Warrior of Light and his cohorts are setting their sights on Alamigo, we're going to get a whole lot more exploration on that. But one of the things that led to the fall of Alamigo in the first place is the Garlean Empire didn't just show up with their big battleships. I mean, that probably wouldn't have been too much more difficult, but they sent in spies and there was a lot of sedition to the point where the emperor at the time was so distrustful of being overthrown he uh, destroyed the Order of Monks that's there. Um, God, I don't have the exact name in front of me because it's got a lot of consonants in a row and it's not easy to pronounce. <laughs> but it's, you know, he not just like dissolved it, like he killed most of them. So the Warrior of Light you know, in this trailer being a monk himself, it, it really does mean a lot. It's not just an aesthetic choice. It, it does mean a lot going forward into the new storyline. Content-wise, uh, they said it's going to be just as big as Heaven's Ward, a huge, like, a game's worth of content in its own. Uh, they're revamping the battle system, which is uh, really interesting to see what they're going to do with that. They're changing around some skills. They're getting rid of uh, typical battle system changes. Uh, but I remember when uh, 4.0 came out, it was more adding things. They didn't really change or remove much. So now they're they're tinkering with the system instead of just adding on top of it. They're raising the level cap, uh, all the stuff you would expect from a traditional expansion. Uh, they're expanding inventory, which actually got the biggest cheer out of the crowd because inventory management in 14 is a challenge at the best of times. Uh, new residential areas. Yeah, all, they said all the stuff you would expect. A couple things that did really stand out, though, most importantly, is that they are raising the... Uh, specs for the game. They're actually going to be upgrading the graphics because they are ending support for the PS3 version. Because that's, that's what's been big. holding the game back. That's pretty so, big, yeah. though. I, I wonder how yeah. many people are going to be pissed off about that. How many people are playing on the PS3? Uh, well, they, they said they've done their research and not much, apparently. Oh, really? okay. And they're actually doing a good thing. If you have the PS3 version of 14, they'll give you the PS4 version for free. You still need a PS4, <laughs> but they'll give you the game for free if you're when you upgrade, which let's be honest, a lot of companies wouldn't do. Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> Square themselves didn't do that with the <laughs> Windows and Mac versions of the game. <laughs> yeah, really. And to my knowledge, they still haven't uh, re-released the Mac version. It was so broken. Bastard. Uh, God, there was one other thing and it just slipped my mind. I'm, I was looking right at it. There's a new class as well, but they didn't oh, yes. announce well, what it is. Yeah, there's going to be new classes, but they didn't announce. But it pr pretty much guaranteed that Red Mage is going to be one of them, one of the classic Final Fantasy jobs. Because when they were doing the presentation, Yoshi P, the producer of the game, was wearing a Scarlet Witch shirt. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> well, when they when they announced Heaven's Ward, before they had announced the Dark Knight, he was wearing a Batman shirt. Mm. So I didn't know that. <laughs> Scarlet Witch translates pretty easily to Red Mage. That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Living with a Final Fantasy XIV expert <laughs> certainly helps. Did she order her book? Yeah, she okay. she actually got in early enough that uh, she's got it. She's not even on the waiting list. 
Yeah, because that sucker sold out pretty goddamn fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this this weekend was their big uh, fan expo. They in uh, Las Vegas. I think they they bounce it back and forth every other year between America and Japan, which is cool of them. So yeah, that, I got I watched the live stream of their letter from the producer where he answers fan questions, and I got to say, like, because I've I've read like some of the recaps of them and the highlights, but like just seeing him sitting there and like explaining to the fans, like he doesn't just answer the question, like he explains why they can or can't do certain things, and the the feedback that he gives to the fan base is better than any I don't want to say any, but just about any other game I've seen in my time. What's funny is that. Like, I I really, really like this game. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's one of those things where, because money's a little more tight, where I'm keeping one sub-active and that's it. Like, I, I still have my WoW sub-active, but that's entirely with in-game gold. And I'm keeping my SWOTOR active just because I'm doing so much in it with... I, I, I'm still the, working on the, um, the, the HK chapter that came out if you were sub long enough and then the next one is going to be coming out literally in like a month or so. So I'm still invested in that enough that I'm, I'm hanging on to that one, but I would love to be able to get back into final fantasy 14. Yeah. Like same I here. Love because about it. It, it's such a fantastic game. Like I had some not great experiences that kind of caused me to take a little time off of it. That was more the community than the game. So like, but one thing that I feel they really need to do with this expansion is lay off the requirement that you have to complete the previous storyline, because that for me was kind of the big hump I had to get over of the vast amount of content I had to do before I could even start playing Heaven's Ward. Like I still haven't finished that stuff. I have so now got, I paid for Heaven's Word and I still haven't played the goddamn same thing. Same here. Same here. The only thing I've gotten out of it was the new play was the yeah, new race. Exactly. Same here. Yeah. <laughs> so now adding an entire expansion's worth of story content that has to be completed before they'll let you access the new stuff. This is only going to serve to set the potential player base farther and farther behind. Yeah. I, I I appreciate their dedication for wanting to tell a cohesive story from the beginning of the game through all the expansions. But at some point, you just need to tell the story, like cut scenes, something. But keeping all that content required to progress is it's not easy. Like, like, yeah, sure. Level through the new zones. Make that a requirement. Sure. That's great. You're going to you got to get from 50 to 60 somehow. Do it through the heavensward areas. But all of the you know level 60 content, which they're, they're in, continuing to add, like when 2.0 or when 3.0 came out with heavensward. Yeah, you had what was then the end game content. Well, each patch has added more end game content that is story requirement. So like that, I appreciate telling that story, but requiring that vast amount of gameplay is is only going to hurt them in the long run. It's a game that is far more dedicated to the, its existing player base than it is to anybody fresh coming in. And that's, yeah. I felt that very much when I started playing it because I did not have the breadth of experience that, say, someone like Ali has, of course, and, and a lot of other people. But I still i am not a fool when it comes to MMOs. And so I thought, OK, well, I can still kind of rush through and I'll be able to get to Heaven's Word content and things like that. No, no, no. See, no and that no. was like they made some concessions with that, like when 3.0 came out with Heaven's Ward, that they really made it a lot easier for the non Heaven's Ward ready players to get there with like uh, priority queuing and dungeons and this and that. And it, like it's cool. And 
I really like what they've done of keeping it, keeping the older content relevant for high level characters to do like, um, like low level dungeons, like they'll still pop up. You can do a, a roulette every day to get rewards at end game. So high level players will still be running the low level content. So there's always going to be a group available for that required content. But the problem I came across that really made me set aside the game for a while is the high level players just want to get through that shit to get their rewards. They're not interested in babysitting, you know, the fresh tank who doesn't know the dungeon. Yeah. And it, it kind of put me off on a lot of things because for the most part, the community in that game is fantastic. But it if you don't get the right group, it can really like ruin your day. Yeah, I will say this. Fuck, I miss playing that card game. <laughs> I. <laughs> oh, man, you would not believe how many cards I've unlocked in that game. I really enjoyed playing that card game. When when, um, <laughs> when Heaven's Ward was coming out and they announced that they were going to like boost the experience, I stopped leveling my character, and like I was, I had my kung fu moment of just wandering the world playing cards. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. And then I had to start leveling again. I was like, but, but the cards. <laughs> All right. Anything else with that one? Uh, more to come. I'm sure they're going to be talking yeah. about it a lot. I think they said uh, they have more big announcements coming up at TGS, I think it was. Uh, some some show coming oh, up in Japan. Yeah, there, there's there's another show coming up soon in Japan that they're going to be talking about more stuff at. Right. Cool. If you haven't seen the trailer, definitely watch the trailer because it is and it's, it's out soon. It's out in the summer. Really? Yeah, summer 2017. Wow. <laughs> okay. You got to give them props, man. They know what they're doing. Yeah. Definitely. Okay, let's move on to Wildstar. We uh, there's a, a new patch that's going to be coming in for the Red Moon Terror raid for the second phase of that. But the big news was that they are going all in on cross faction, whether it is PvP, guild, circles, neighbors, friends, groups. You're going to be able to do everything with. It doesn't matter what the 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 faction is. Now. It's always been kind of like with with WoW, where you had your two factions, your alliance and your, your horde, and you didn't talk to each other, and you had your PvP against each other in different zones even, different things like that. But because WoWstar has had such a problem with hanging on to their people, and keeping guilds active especially and keeping PvP active, which has been even harder for them. They've had to make concessions with different things and now this seems like the biggest one where it's, okay, you're not all together per se, but you'll be able to talk to each other and do shit together kind of thing. And I understand why they're doing it. It makes perfect mechanical and business sense. Yeah, they have to do it. Put it that way. Because not enough people are playing certain... Um, the, 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 damn it. What's the, the, the bad guys faction. I can't even remember the names of the faction. Dominion. Yeah. The Dominion. Sorry. So there's not, typically there hasn't been enough of those. Everybody's playing the other guys. Okay. Why would anybody want to play those assholes? (laughs) Who wants to play a freaking rodent? (laughs) But it does cause this problem. Like I know that I haven't played it for a little while now. But it is actually still one of my favorite MMOs. I freaking love that game. I do. I adore it. I've just had technical issues with it, which have held me back. But we tried doing both a a, a guild on with both factions, and it just doesn't work because there's no nowhere near as many people playing the Dominion. At least there wasn't the last time I was playing. So from that perspective, it's going to open things up and allow people to 
play those characters that they otherwise were not playing to get those stories, which is good. But one of the things that I've always liked about WoW and other games that use factions like that is having that division and having that rivalry. And I understand that the rivalry isn't working in Wildstar by sheer virtue of the fact that they don't have enough people playing it, but it was always still something that I I still did like it in that game as well. So there's disappointment, but there's more so understanding of why they're doing it, and, and the benefits will outweigh the the disappointment in this case for me. See, and it's one of those things that, yeah, like I perfectly understand it, and I'm not going to complain about it, but narratively... It makes no sense. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Cross-faction stuff in WoW, like, when was the last time the Horde and the Alliance were actually at war? <laughs> when they weren't being manipulated by an outside force? Like, it's, narratively, it's been a pretty long time. But Wildstar did such a fantastic job of making you hate the other faction uh, in, in their storytelling, in the quest lines. Like, it's not just, oh, yeah, they're bad people. Like, we don't like them. But, like, it... <laughs> Remember Elder Root, man. Oh, yeah. No kidding. <laughs> I know. So, like, it's just one of those things that, like, narratively it pisses me off so much in that specific game. But, I, again, like I said, I understand why. So, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at it more as less of a lore thing where they're joining hands and more of a, you know, taking yourself out of the game and it's, I'm just playing with my buddy. Yeah. Because otherwise it does break the immersion completely. But for this game at this stage, they need to do whatever they can to mm-hmm. retain people and get people back into the game. And again, I've said it before, and yeah, no, I'm not playing it right now. Although I do still bounce in every once in a while. It's still one of my favorite MMOs just for sheer fun. I love the art style. The housing is the best that I've ever played in terms of being able to make whatever the fuck you want in there and and have fun with it and when we had our guild that was really going strong when it first came out it was a spectacular guild and we had a blast because of the various aspects the 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 questing or not the questing but the uh the raids and the 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 dungeons were difficult but if you were in a group on 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 team speaker event or whatever you had fun with it if you were with a good group and we did. And then there were there were walls, certainly, that you hit, but you kept plucking away to get it, which isn't me saying that they should have stuck with that. This is the hardcore game that they started off with. No, they, that was way off and they were wrong to do that. But even just the difficulty when they, they took it down a couple of notches was still enough that you wound up still having a lot of fun. And then there was also just the plain grouping to go do questing, which, again, I love the questing in this game. And then the housing to show the diversity of housing, you have people who have made tracks and races on theirs. I have a library on one of my characters that we had a monthly book club that we would read a book and then we would all meet in the the, the library, our characters, and then we would just type out and talk and have conversations about the book that we'd read. And it was a fucking blast. Like the game allowed a, diff- a whole bunch of different things that you could do that... Otherwise, you would not necessarily do in an MMO, and I really, really freaking dig that. So, okay, let's move on now to non-MMO. First, touch on very, very quickly, once again, Hex is sticking with the events and whatnot, and of course, with Halloween right around the corner. Did you just say in non-MMOs, we're moving on to Hex? 
uh, I, I said, but first let's touch on Hex. Oh, okay. And okay. then we'll, we'll, we'll touch on Tyranny after. But uh, yeah, so they're doing their Halloween event. They've got the card backs and they've also got a, a couple of cards that they're doing and sticking with the Halloween themes. But what I like about this, and I'm going to have to check a little bit further to see because some of the cards have a, um, are using the harvest keyword which if i'm not mistaken was used a while back in one of their other ones for like the thanksgiving around that time if i'm not mistaken so some of those cards may have harvest in them as well so you'd be able to use those as well but um but i like these i i really dig the 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 stingy jack and putting different cards in your deck that'll do one or two different things be a trick or treat kind of thing and the the uh the different the scython different equipment that you can get as well i didn't see a legendary which is a little disappointing i gotta tell you but anyway fucking legendaries last time were too goddamn hard to get anyways (laughs) the drop rate was way too low on the legendaries last time let me tell you so anyways yet another reason to get into hex and play this game i I keep saying it there's a reason i keep saying i love this guy that i was playing today i still play this game all the fucking time so still great Okay, now let's move on to Tyranny, because this is yet another game that we are very excited for. And I don't know about you, but after I watched the gameplay videos, I was like, yeah, it's not like I wasn't sold before, but holy crap, am I ever sold now? How much of the stream did you watch? I had watched, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched quite a bit of it. I mean, a lot of it is just your character and world creation. <laughs> and Which then, is great. Oh, it was awesome. It was incredible. So yeah, Tyranny is coming out, the uh, latest RPG from Obsidian Entertainment, the guys that brought out uh, Pillars of Eternity a couple years ago. And as we talked about this game the last few times, this is Vince Simulator 2016, where the entire premise of the game is you're the villain. And how are you dealing with that? Like, how bad are you being yeah. <laughs> when you're conquering this country? <laughs> So we saw some gameplay stuff. Uh, Day 9 actually was allowed to stream a preview build of it yesterday, in fact. Uh, It's all up on YouTube. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes. As well as other press outlets have uh, posted their previews of it. And I'm just focusing on the character creation side of things because that's as far as I got in the VODs because it's, what, six hours long. I watched the first two hours. I think I did enough homework. (laughs) And character creation is typical stuff. You know, pick a background, pick a class, pick your skills. But then you get into the conquest section of character creations, which is the backstory of your character's role in the war to conquer this other nation. And it's told through really cool artwork. I don't even know how to describe it. It just looks really cool. Uh, It's all static stuff, but it varies depending on, you know, where you are and what you've done. And a map kind of like Dragon Age Inquisition, where you, you have your map of the town's And I thought it was just going to be like, okay, you're here. What are you doing? But you're actually making a lot of decisions, not just which choice are you making, but which town do you want to go to? Which battles do you want to participate in that I can't even imagine the amount of options that you have to choose from here? Like It's ridiculous because at some point you have three different cities you can travel to. And then at each of those cities, you have three tiers of two quests to choose from with multiple choices within those like it's insane the amount of game you're playing before you start playing the game like you are building your own custom world that you then get to go adventure in and i gotta tell you (laughs) number one 
none of the decisions you make are good. Yeah. <laughs> it's all one form of being a terrible, terrible person to these people. And number two, I don't even come close to measuring up to how sadistic Twitch chat is. <laughs> because they were just vicious in the stream of what choices they wanted him to make. But it's so cool that you can spend this amount of time in what is still functionally the character creation part of the game. And then you get into the actual narrative, which in and of itself is pretty cool. You've been given this edict from the the overseer, the overlord, whatever, whatever his name is, to bring this rebellion under control. And you've got eight days to do it or he's basically just going to wipe the entire place off the map. Like it, it, He actually seals the canyon behind you. So you narratively cannot go back. You have no choice but to succeed or to die. So the entire game itself actually only takes place over the course of that eight days, which I'm interested to see how that plays out because some people have said it feels like the actual game part of the game is going to be relatively short. And I say relatively because Pillars of Eternity was, I think, 75 hours, not counting expansions. So if it's a 30-hour experience, that's still a good amount of game. But I'm actually really happy to have a shorter experience here because I want to play through it five or six times to try and see all the different options you get in that conquest mode and then to exist in that world you've built and all of the prejudices that the people are going to have against you. Maybe that town doesn't exist because you burned it down. This is an option. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'd actually be really interested if it was a shorter game that is built for being played multiple multiple times because so many of these games like dragon age dragon age fantastic i only played inquisition once because i didn't have another 50 hours to go through and see the other side of things so i i'm i'm actually super excited for this game now the impression i got is that it's quite a bit shorter actually but specifically because they are anticipating that you are going to be playing it multiple times mm -hmm. and the impression is as well that it is not just moderately different each time, but substantially different because there are so many different choices. Like, it took forever for him to finish just that background lore and to actually That was a full hour of the video. Player. Actually, if I'm not mistaken, it was an hour and a half. Granted, he did a lot of shooting the shit with the people yeah. in the audience and stuff like that and being a goofball and having fun. But the fact remains, it took a bloody long time. And that's awesome. I The way I looked at it... <laughs> To, to really, really simplify it, it was creating your own D&D &D campaign, say, and just using like a, a modular setup where it gives you options and whatnot, but you're creating what you want your campaign to be, and then you're playing in that sandbox. That's what it felt like to me looking at it and reading about it as well because I read some other stuff too. And it felt very much like that, which is where you get back to that replayability because then the next time you're going to go, okay, well, what would happen? How would the story progress once I'm done if I do this and this instead of that and that? And those little choices do have a huge impact moving forward, not to mention the choices that you make when you're actually playing. This is just setting up that campaign. So because of that, I, I'm with you. I actually want a far shorter experience once you're in there, just get through it and get it done. Hell, I'd be all right with under 20 hours just so that you can then just go back and create a different world. You know what? Keep the game. Just give me the overload yeah. simulator. <laughs> That'd be kind of awesome. Actually, it would be, it made me think that 
if it was a game that I, I don't know if it will be multiplayer at all, if they'll allow it, but that's the kind of experience that would be a blast with other people where one of the three of us say sets up the world and then we all dive in oh, and see what the if, hell if you could have. save your world state and then allow other people to play yeah. in it. Oh man. Yeah. So I, there's a lot of potential here with this game and I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Absolutely. Was that it? You done with it? I think we're done. Okay. I'm done with you then. Well, fine. Ring on Joe. <laughs> <laughs> and now for the worst part of the show. Well, it is wow after all. <laughs> Which I'll say this now before he's on. <laughs> I'm barely playing Legion. And I know that some people right now are like wigging out and really loving a lot of different things about it. I'm just not one of them. Like there were some different quest lines in some of the regions that were really quite good and I enjoyed. There was a lot of stuff that I felt you just had to trudge through to get through to what was supposed to be cool, which was a very short portion of the quest line. But there were some other zones where it's like, wow, that was really cool. And then, like Joe was saying, wait till you get to Suramar, which is that section in the, the middle where you have to be level 110 to get to, and that's the spot. Well, I got there, and <laughs> that's not what I'm feeling. Now, again, I'm, I'm not playing every day like a lot of people, and I'm actually, I'm really not playing a lot, but I actually found that once I got to Suramar, it got really disjointed. And maybe it's because the rest of the experience was so much on rails that once it gets to a section that was not so much on rails, that it kind of felt too all over the place. And Joe had made the point also that part of the problem he felt when he got to 110 was that there were too many quests going forward. And that's very much true. And they haven't increased that goddamn 25 limit, quest limit. So you're constantly juggling because you've got now quests for your professions, which some people like, I think it's a pain in the ass. You got quests, just random quests all over the goddamn place. And then you get into Surmar, fucking quests all over the place. And they're not always tied together properly. And then that's not to mention any other quests that you may have, be it for dungeons or be it for hell, even stuff like the Dark Moon Fair stuff, any number of quests that you may have. And it, it to me, is feeling more and more like a disjointed mess. And I'm actually enjoying it less and less each time I'm playing. Hey, the so, fans are complaining there's not enough content. Well then, more yeah, content. But make it make sense. And again, I'm... I may be in the minority. I know a lot of people are really loving it. A lot of people love Surmar. I just, I'm really not one of them. And I'm, I'm just, some of the quest line leading into it was like, oh, that was pretty awesome. But then you get there and it's like, okay, well now go get me 25 crystals so that I'm not starving because I'm a man addict. And it's like, oh, for fuck's sakes. This, it, it all led up to this, like fetch quest so that you can have a snack. So... There's too many little things like that that I've been experiencing. It's like, okay, well, not so much with the fun anymore. So, yeah, I've I've been playing to make money to pay for my subscription. <laughs> not so much to enjoy, which is why I'm probably going to wind up lapsing before I even finish all the quest lines there, which is too bad. Hmm. But, again, I know Joe is really enjoying it, and there is some big stuff coming in the patch 7.1, including the Karazhan stuff. So we are going to be talking about that in a moment. <laughs> 
Okay, so we are back now, and we've got Joe with us instead of Vince. He's gone, napping, no doubt. And we are going to talk about WoW to start with, because the big patch, 7.1, has just been, well, it, they told us when it's going to be coming out on the 25th, and we got more information as well, uh, a lot of it from the, the, the developer Q&A as well. Did you get a chance to watch the whole Q&A? I did actually. I watched it and uh, reread some of the uh, the live blogs of it to make sure that I didn't miss anything, stuff like that. Okay. Well, I'm going to let you take it from here then. Uh, hit on the high points and what you thought of it. So there's a lot of interesting things. At least to me, they're interesting. And hopefully you'll find them interesting too. Um, topics are always varied when there's a, a dev Q&A. And one of the biggest ones that always comes up is class balance. Yeah. Um, one of the biggest complaints that people have is the difference between bring the player, bring the class. And can I actually stop you there for just one moment? Sure. Were you surprised when that was brought up in a way that was opposite to the way that they've been going lately? Kind of. I, 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 I was, I'm not going to lie. And it's not like I was like shocked with my mock hand over my face kind of thing, but it's surprising. I, it was surprising because they've spent years now with that mantra of bring the player, not the class. And all of a sudden saying, uh, we might have gone a little too far with that. And I'm like, holy crap. Really? Seriously? Yes. We're going back to that mentality? Not. I don't think they're going all the way back. I think that and this is why I was going to bring this up, because I think this is actually really an interesting discussion point. Uh, there's always, there's been this thing with the hybridization of all these classes and sort of mainlining them so that every class plays in parity but it's really boring when you do that when you have three melee classes and they all essentially play the same way what's the draw for one player to play one class or another now part of that has definitely been a, a, a sort of answered by the you know class story the class uniqueness and the lore of the class which they've really tried to emphasize this expansion um to varying degrees of success but they like having the idea of having niches for classes, at least in some regards. I'm not opposed to that. Oh, of course and not. The only, and the reason I'm not is because in a dungeon, in a raid, in any sort of group content, um, there are going to be things where you excel at a little bit better, but you can still get through the other pieces as well. And it gives you a certain... I don't want to say it lets you fall back into your, your play styles as you see fit. Like to me, I play a resto shaman as much as I love playing healers in every class or every game. I can't play every class of healer. I can't play a fucking disc priest to save my life. It's not my play style. I can't play a, a resto druid for my life. It's not my play style. It doesn't fit with me. Whereas the uniqueness and the certain things that the resto shaman do fit perfectly well with my mentality. I'm not the greatest single target healer, but I can do it. I can spec a certain way to do it. And I kind of like the idea that they're trying to find that balance again, where it's not just going to be you have to stack these classes in order to beat this boss. It's more, okay, if the player plays a certain way, they're going to do well in this fight. And if they play this way, they're going to do even better on this fight. I'm okay with that mentality. It's it's fine because it's not about the numbers at the end of the day to me. It's about having that sort of feeling of being important. I wish them luck in that because that's a really fucking fine line to, to, to walk. And I think we're going to see how that shifts with 7.1 because there's a ton of class balances being brought out in 7.1. They haven't all been finalized or detailed yet. 
Um, but if you've been paying attention to the PBE, you can see where damage is being increased or decreased. Or in the case of Shadow Priest in particular, uh, they found one talent that is so overpoweringly good compared to the rest of its tier that it forced them to say, no, the rest of this tier sucks. Maybe we should do something about it and actually buff or rework the other talents in that tier to make them a little bit better without completely nerfing the talent that everybody loves. And this is Surrender to Madness. Um, so I wish them luck. I really, really absolutely do because yeah. it's going to be hard. It, it, it's not just that it's going to be hard, but I think that they're going into it with the wrong um, the wrong goal because I'm with you in terms of you want to make sure that you are having a different play style for each of the classes because if they are, in fact, too similar, then, yeah, you're right. It becomes far too homogenous it doesn't matter which ones you really pick you're you're kind of picking flavor not actual gameplay so i get that and your example of uh healing on different classes you know obviously i completely understand what you're saying and it's the reason why in not just wow but other games as well where we've played healers some games we will gravitate either to specific healers or just plain give up on healing even though it's our favorite because it doesn't feel right i never really felt that the healing say in final fantasy 14 fit for me and i really wanted it to now granted i didn't try everything but what i did try it just did not feel natural same with you resto shaman i adore healing on my shaman and i do like on my druid as well so differences in terms of things like that yeah of course you want that in there but the moment that those differences have enough of an impact on a dungeon or a raid that the dungeon or raid leaders are going to specifically be seeking out different classes that's when i think they've gone too far and by saying that they want to return to that idea of saying hey i want a warlock which was the example that he used we specifically want a warlock for these specific reasons. That's where, personally, I think you've failed. You took it way too far in terms of what was either necessary or enough of a perk that you specifically want the class and not the player. And I think that that ruins so much of the game. Maybe. And I don't know if this, this could be – it could be just in the way that the response was. And, and I think maybe that Ian Hazakostas doesn't necessarily – convey some thoughts properly all the time and i think his example definitely skewed that way because he's very old school but let's say you're bringing a warlock because they have xyz that's useful not necessarily game breaking i think that's fine but if it's game breaking like back in the day when you had to absolutely bring sick shaman for bloodlust because every group had to have a bloodlust or, or heroism if you're alliance. That's when things get really fucking bred, really bad. If they can avoid that while still giving like, okay, this is useful, this is good, that's fine. Like, And I'll go back to Wrestle Shaman as a really great example because even right now that's sort of a thing. Um, there are certain fights where I really excel at because of the way my class works with my mastery and my type of healing. The first two fights in uh, Emerald Nightmare shine for me the next two fights are okay like they're hard for me because they the first two fights everybody's grouped up i can use my aoe they're, they tend to have uh spikes and drops in, in their health which plays to my mastery and it makes me incredibly useful the second two bosses 
it's all single target healing. And while I can spec into it and I can do okay, somebody like a paladin is going to do better than I am or a holy priest is going to do better than I am. And that's fine because that fits that play style. And I think that's where they need to keep that balance where like maybe fights pander a little bit more to a different play style, but not enough that, you know, there's a disparity between the classes. Cause right now with my, just in my group and even looking at some of the parses, um, there's not a big difference between classes on those. I might have 5% more healing than somebody else or 6% more healing. Still makes me feel good, but it's not game breaking. See, the point that I keep going back to as well. Well, sorry, I, this is another conversation. What the, the idea that I keep going back to is, do you feel that it had gotten that bad that they needed to change it to go back to this, even partially to this idea of yes. the, the the class? You really do. Yeah, and, and this is just from like and this is just my opinion from rating. And I want to make that perfectly clear to the listeners at home. My opinion personally. There was no reason to necessarily bring a shaman, and you could run a group with five paladins if you wanted to. Um, and that was fine, but if you already had a core a core raid team, there might not have been a reason to bring somebody else in. Um a lot of the classes had very similar abilities with very few exceptions. There wasn't a whole lot of difference between the classes and the spells. Everything played very similar and, and it was boring and it was, you could take any tank and shove it into that spot and you wouldn't know the difference like here. And, and I'll use tanks as a great example for this too. Um, with the, inc- with the inclusion of demon hunters as tanks, we now have what five tanking classes. We have druids, Death Knights, Monks, Paladins, Warriors, Six, and Demon Hunters. So we have six tanking classes. Each of them feels different to heal. And this is the first time I've been able to say that in years. When it was finishing out Warlords of Draenor, every single one of them felt exactly the same. It was boring. Predictable damage. Everybody took roughly the same. There wasn't spikes. There wasn't different tank mechanics that made me have to heal different or be involved differently. And it was absolutely fucking boring. Now, when I'm healing a demon hunter, I look for different things. I'm looking for different interactions or spells. I'm doing completely different heal rotations or heal priorities. It feels better. All of them still feel viable. Like, I don't feel like, oh, these these tanks are fucking shit. I never want to heal one of them. No, it's, okay, I know what I have to do for this tank because it's different. It's not the same. And I think that was absolutely needed. See, the same thing, same thing with like DPS, like what, it, every DPS was doing exactly the same thing. There was no differentiation. See, the way that I look at it is that you're giving something up in order to get that. And what you're giving up is the player feeling like they can play whatever they want. And because we both come from having played since beta, we can remember the times when you were forced into a very, mm-hmm. very specific spec. You had no choice in the matter. And if you wanted to raid, you didn't even really have a choice in terms of what class you could play. It was, listen, we need this. This is what you're playing. Level it up fast so that you can start raiding with us. Oh, yeah. And this is exactly how you're going to spec. So as soon as even hints of that come back... I I get a little nervous and think that's that's not a you know, good place to go back to. And I and I agree with you. If yeah. it ever gets if it ever gets back to that point, I will be right alongside you trying to burn that motherfucker down. Because yeah. I don't ever want to go back to that. Like I said, I I've been playing for that long, and I just made this comment to somebody today. 
I have really fond memories of vanilla. I never want to go back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> That's actually a really good way of pointing it out. Yeah. <laughs> so aside from balancing, which was actually a lot of it, there was some discussion about RNG, which plays a big part in it, in particular loot. Uh, legendaries was another topic that has been really kind of heated. Um, right now, legendaries are completely RNG, and they haven't really explained how the role for it happens, but I have kind of a working theory. When you get a piece of loot, there's always a role that happens in the background for upgrades. If it's a blue, it might upgrade to a, 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 an epic. If it's an epic, it might upgrade to Warforged, Titanforged. Um, if it's that, it might upgrade into something even higher, uh, possibly gaining eye levels. And I think there's another role at that point, like it's just a series of roles that says, okay, you've gotten this far, and there's like a small, slim chance that that item will just go, okay, yeah, you're a legendary now, and flip over. They haven't really explained it, and I understand why, because they don't want it to be something that people crack down and say, okay, this is mathematically how I get a legendary. They want it to be something fun that happens, sort of like in Diablo, where it's like, oh, this is cool. Uh, see, I thought it was just a an RG roll on a loot table, not an, an, an upgrade, but rather on the loot table. And part of that loot table is very specific items that would be legendaries. Because see, they I, said that about, they were saying that too, in terms of specific bosses dropping specific items that may not work with whatever your spec is. And that's to kind of encourage you to try that spec as well. So... That's the sure, impression and, that and that's I for got. different loot tables, but legendaries can drop from literally anything. They can drop from bosses of any type. They can drop from chests of any type. They can drop from your rewards from the end of the week of doing mythic dungeons. If you did some of them, there, there's, they're not on specific loot tables, right? They can go come from any source. Like somebody in my guild killed a random mob and got a legendary pair of shoes. Like and and that's okay, and I, as long as it stays RNG and not farmable like that, I think it's okay. And I and I like kind of where legendaries sort of played into that because I'm one of those people that I hated that everybody had a legendary Mr. Pandaria, and I hated that everybody had a legendary in Warlords of Draenor because it didn't feel fun. It just felt like another epic. It just it didn't have that sort of holy shit. This is really fucking cool. It's like no, everybody's got one. Whatever, no big deal. I didn't so, bother the, getting them because of that. Yeah, and, I'm not going to waste my time on something if it's just yet another piece of loot that's going to be replaced in the first 15 minutes playing the next expansion. Sure, exactly. And But having something where it drops like Diablo, and Diablo's a yeah. perfect example for it, that's fun. It feels good for the player to have something that cool happen. And they're saying that here that they, they like how that is right now. And I tend to agree with it. Like we've had a couple drop in my guild and I have a couple friends that have gotten them and they're always super excited when they get it. And sometimes oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a trash piece. They're, they're never going to use it, but it made them feel really good for that time that they have it. And maybe they'll play around with it or play a different class. Well, or, they're also going to be, expecting. they were saying too, they're going to be fine tuning these legendaries as the game progresses as well. Yes. So what's not working out now, that same item might get tweaked and be worthwhile later on. And anybody who's played Diablo knows that happens all the damn yep. time, so keep them in your bank. Yep. Um, let's see. There was also talking about secondary stats being tuned. Again, lots of lots of tuning stuff. Um, right now, secondary stats are kind of a thing that's hit and miss, or if you're playing like a class like a Resto Shaman, they're almost all equal, so you don't really care what you get. Um, they're going to start looking at that and see how they can kind of move stuff around a little bit. Another thing that I thought was cool is the fact that they are going to be looking at crafting materials. Crafting was shit in Draenor. It was boring. I never touched it because there was no incentive. 
ever it was dumb at least to me now they're trying to bring back something into the crafting system that makes players want to build and give them something that feels better um so like you're working towards something it's not just a race to the max level it's not just you can make everything and i think they're doing an okay job problem is stat or the the requirements for some of those some of those items are very heavy uh and you don't always get them like for jewel crafting gems are actually rare it feels like burning crusade again a little bit where gems are a rarity they're not always around they're not in abundance like they were in later pat later expansions it's you got a blue quality gem oh shit that's actually worth something that's worth like five skill points if you cut it or or whatever the case is and i i like how that's playing out here they specifically addressed blood of sargeras these motherfucking things come from everywhere it's a crafting reagent i have 700 of them in the bank right now just from questing and doing random crap i have nothing to do with them because again that other side of the coin crafting is a little bit more difficult so they're introducing a vendor that's going to give you crafting materials so you can craft items and i think that's okay and we're going to see how that sort of plays out and i think that's nice that they're looking at that too i actually haven't been doing a lot of quest or the um the professions because it's it's all questing early on i don't know how long the fucking question questing goes on for but for me i'm already juggling enough with goddamn quests because of the limitations of how many you can take that i i'm like dropping the gathering ones and the other professions just because i don't have fucking time for that and i certainly don't have time in my quest log or space in my quest log for it yeah well and that's the other thing too there's there's a ton of quests for all of that stuff always happening <sighs> too much you were right yeah. when you were talking about that because there's way too many and that's not even taking into consideration any dailies that you may want to do it's not taking hell even the freaking dark moon fair stuff kind of things if you want to be getting the the tokens for a variety of different things like it's just they need to increase that goddamn cap because it's yes it's throttling your enjoyment of the game it's like it reminds me of inventory management in elder scrolls online it's a now, fucking pain in the ass and we shouldn't have to do it I, and I, you know what i tend to agree with you especially with like the world quest thing i know what their argument is for it i don't necessarily agree they don't want players just to open up their quest log and see like a scrolling wheel of quests i get that but maybe it's time to look at the cap. Maybe instead of 25, it's 35. Like, like actually take a look at it. Um, that needs to be looked at. And also our basic backpack is still 16 slots. Yeah, God. It's been, it's been oh like that for God. 13 years, man. Come on, let's go. Now, on the topic of world quests, there was actually some interesting information regarding that as well. Uh, one of the things that was happening in beta uh, that I really liked is that the variety of world quests was rotating frequently. Um, you, there was a wide variety. Sometimes you'd have two or three in the same area that let you do different things, like in the same exact small micro area. So you had a little bit of a, a living world feel when they released to live, the frequency in which they changed was reduced slightly and they found a bug. Apparently what was happening is when it goes to do the, the resets for the world quests, if there's something that you have not completed in a spot, it was ignoring it instead of replacing it or putting it alongside it. So sort of like if two or three or four quests can occupy the same spot, but you've never done that one particular quest, you were getting stuck with that quest for weeks on end. They are looking at fixing that, which makes me happy. 
Now, let's see. The last big thing that I was probably going to want to talk about here is just going to be Karazhan because we talked about it a little bit, but now we have more information regarding it. Um, Karazhan is going to have an unlock attunement type scenario going on. Um, You are going to have to do a, a quick mission with your order hall resources that's going to send you on a quest chain that introduces you to the story and narrative behind the new Karazhan. That's going to be your unlock, and as far as we know from what they said, is that it's going to be an account-wide unlock, too, so that if you go back later with alts or whatever the case is, you're not going to have to keep redoing the attunement like you used to have to do. I think that's cool. I like the idea of the story lead-ins to to quests. Like, I've just unlocked Arcway and Court of Stars not too long ago, a couple days ago. And the quest lines that led up to them were really, really fun, and they set the stage for those those instances. They, they, why am I coming here? What's going on? What's the story behind it? And I like when they do that, and it seems like that's the way they're moving as well. I will say this, and it's it's a minor complaint, especially because we don't know how many resources it's going to cost. But I'm hoping not a lot because while I'm assuming you probably have more resources than you know what to do with. Right? Nope. No? Okay. Because as a very casual player, because I I play a lot of other games before WoW, especially with this expansion, I'm in the minority, I would guess, where I'm not as crazy about it as a lot of other folks. But I am always out of resources. I have to go farm or do something else in, in the game to be able to get more, as opposed to the garrison where you just kind of pick them up. And... And it's a fucking pain in the ass and it's throttled back different things that I can do for my order hall because I don't have the resources in order to send my dudes out to go and take care of it. So I am really not digging that at all. So if they're holding back Kara with resources, how many am I going to have to now go farm before I can even start Kara? If it's anything like the other ones, probably like 100 or 150. Yeah, if it's not a lot, then cool. But, man, I'm hoping – because I have one that's pending right now that's like 2,000, and I'm never going to get to that point. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, and see, and, and, and I think that does need to be looked at a little bit too for the order resources thing because I, I agree with you. I don't do a lot of world quests that involve order resources just because I don't care so much. But if I want to send my guys out on missions, I need to have them. I think they need to look at the cost, the cost to what it is. That said, the story stuff, uh, ones that have led me into dungeons or ones that have led me into specific quest chains or things like that have been very, very cheap, uh, 100 or 150 at the most. So right. it's been fine. And as long as they stay on those for that, that's great. And Well, the um, other thing, too, is it's not just about sending your guys out for, for missions or whatever. There's actual, like I said, order hall quests specifically that you do have to send your guys out for like for the the jewels or the gems or whatever the fuck it is for the druids but the other thing too is you're using those resources then for the artifact research as well so yes like i mean it's there's specific things where you have to use those resources which are in such rare supply already as it is so anyways it's it's a minor gripe and it'll depend largely on how many are exactly are required that is, you know, and you, it's a it's a valid gripe, and it's one that I feel is I feel as well. I guess I should say. Now, on the topic of artifacts, moving just a little bit away from Karazhan for, from here, because now that we know that we have to do that little attunement and story to get in, and what it's going to be at least a little bit, um, artifacts, and they, we've talked about 
two specific things. One, again, resources as far as gaining more artifact power, order hall resources being spent into uh, specifically research, um, and also relics. And so they, they talked about how they feel the order hall research is generally working pretty well as far as a catch-up mechanic. Um, so if you're switching specs or you want to play another spec, um, they feel that it's working pretty well to move you along and catch you up on that second artifact pretty quickly. I can actually attest to that a little bit because I've started uh, learning enhancement, uh, which has been a ton of fun. I had zero points spent in Doomhammer. Uh, I'm now almost completely caught up with my resto artifact as far as that from not very much investment just due to uh, the artifact research, which I think is kind of cool. The other thing, too, is the artifact research. If you haven't read the giant books that sit inside of your order halls, every time you hit certain levels, I think it's like two, four, eight, twelve. Um, you unlock different pieces of the story of your artifact, too. That tells more about where it came from and how it came to be. Uh, so if you're interested in lore, doing that actually unlocks those for you. Now, relics, one of the things about them that people dislike is that they're treated like gems. When you replace one, you destroy the previous. Um, they actually like that, and I kind of agree with them as to why. Right now, the way that it should work is relics give you an item level boost to your artifact and then a minor trait boost on top of it and they want them to feel like you're more looking towards the item level boosts not necessarily min maxing as far as what minor traits you have because at that point if you're looking at the minor traits like that they failed in balancing the artifact or they failed in balancing that trait um and that is something they do look at as well and they talked about that in class balance as well that they look at the traits and how that relates to talents so i think that's actually fine uh, I know a lot of people were very, very upset about that. But at the end of the day, your relics don't matter necessarily as much as, for what they give you in traits as it does what item level it gives you for your weapon. That's I mean, those are basically for me. Those are the major highlights from the the, the class dev or the live dev for 7.1. Um, again, most of it revolved heavily, heavily, heavily on class tunement. Um, but yeah. Was there anything else that stood out to you, Roger? No, you pretty much we, – we covered everything that I was either concerned with or, uh, or or wasn't crazy about kind of thing. There's – again, we've talked about this and it's not to shit on the game certainly nor to shit on anybody's enjoyment of the game either. It's just that I'm I'm really not enjoying this nearly as much as I'd hoped I would. Mm-hmm. Not that I thought I would because, again, coming off of Draenor, I was like, no, nah, this is – <laughs> I, I doubt I'll have fun here, but we'll try anyways. And especially because I was playing with my son, like we're having more fun leveling up new paladins than we are doing actual Legion content right now. When we play together, we're not doing Legion. We we did before when it first came out, but now, no, we're just leveling up paladins for fun. So the game still has a lot of things that I like about it. It's just that the Legion specific stuff, while there were some quests that I enjoyed, like right now I'm in Surmar on my, my Druid, let's say, and the rest of the the zones had felt so much like they were on rails. And then you get to Surmar and it feels like a clusterfuck to me. It really feels yeah. completely disjointed. There's no 
purpose for me that I have found yet, really. And there was the cool stuff with the the city and things like that. And you get the cinematics and you see what's going on. But then afterwards, it's like, I'm hungry. Go get me some mana crystals. And you're, you're doing stupid quests like that and, and go kill some turtles over there. And it just, it kind of, for me, now granted, I haven't gotten that far in it, but it kind of fell apart. You had this deck of cards that somebody was starting to make a, a house out of and then you get to Suramar and it's just this hot mess somebody just trampled on the the entire questing mechanics that they've been using up till that point and so I am personally not enjoying nor invested in Suramar in the least and then when you look at other things like again leveling up your order hall well the Order Hall is, I've, I joked around, it's the garrison in the little black dress that kind of spruced it up and made it look pretty, <laughs> but it is garrisons. That's what it is. And so I've done a bunch of the quests for it. Some of them were good uh, for the Jewett, and, and I did enjoy them. But then the problem is, is that you get to those bottlenecks where they require stupid shit then. And it's like, oh, for fuck's sakes. And then the artifact weapon, while it was interesting to do the quest for them, and to a a small degree fun to level them up, it's gotten to the point with mine where it's like, I don't want to grind to level up a weapon that come next expansion, they have point blank said is going to be useless. They're not carrying that forward. So to me, it's a waste of time. So there's, and then again, going back to the crafting, I'm personally not digging it. So there's a lot of things where it's like, man, I'm, I'm not invested in the game as it stands right now. And for me, that's again, I still do enjoy. Wow, tremendously. I enjoy a lot of the mechanics. I enjoy a lot of the classes and different things with it, and the stories and whatnot. But I feel that again, this expansion, it while slightly better than Draenor for me personally it's not that that much better and see and for me it's it's the exact opposite yeah. like this is some of the most fun I've had in a long time uh the Suramar quest line for me too like there's a lot of cool stuff going on there for me with like the curing of the wither that you're working on as well as the politics of the city and what's happening to it and from what it looks like with 7.1 the story of the city is going to advance as well, including like physical changes to the city and people. And that looks like that's something they want to carry through to the completion of that storyline, which I think is cool because that's one of the first times that they've actually considered doing that. Um, And there are cool beat moments. And I will agree that there's, there's more downtime than I would like between some of these beat moments, uh, especially with like the order hall stuff, like the things you do with like Zara. I don't know if you have mocked Zara yet. Have you seen her? you actually deal with the first Naru in your order hall campaign. And she unveils like past and, and, and things that you don't know about. And you actually get to live through lore moments. And there's a lot of cool cut scenes and things like that. And then there's some really fun stuff in there. Like one of the things you get to play as Illidan during the black temple encounter, like the original one from yeah, burning crusade. Yeah. And I thought that was like the, the little clever things. And there, there are these, these hints of, of clever moments there. Um, there's some cool stuff, and I would agree that there's a little more downtime than I would like between those things. And I'd like to see maybe that adjusted a little bit. Yeah. Okay, let's move on just very quickly on one last game that we've talked about at length at different times. And I know that the last time we saw something about it, I kind of said, okay, I've seen enough. I don't need to see any more. But, of course, they released more, and I looked at it and went, God 
damn, that's cool. And that's Prey. Did you get a chance to watch the video? Oh, hell yeah. Twice. Oh, dude, dude. Okay. So just to let people know if you haven't seen it, this is really cool because it's showing you what led to the events that we are going to be playing in the game. And just, we are going to be playing. <laughs> There's no if we pick it up. No, 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 no. In 58. Oh, this is a purchase. Oh, yeah. There's a, a satellite that was tossed up in 1958 called Verona. And, of course, this is all fictional. And it it had a stable orbit around the planet, but then after a while it stopped responding. So they sent uh, up some cosmonauts to investigate and found that there were fucking aliens inside. So they tried to bury it, and it became a state secret. And then eventually, this is where, it's, this is where it gets far-fetched. Russia decides to ask JFK for help. <laughs> yeah, that's going to happen. So... They agree there's a collaboration that takes part in 63, and then they, they, they create this program so that they can try to contain the aliens in this, uh, this satellite that is still orbiting Earth. Shortly thereafter, there was a quote-unquote failed assassination attempt on JFK. Mm-hmm. Now, he decides to take control of the station after that. He just freaking goes all dictator Trump on, on the U.S. is like, oh, I'm taking control of this fucking station and well, trying to... Well, he goes to dictator Trump on Russia. Well, yeah. But, yeah, but the, 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 they took control of the, the station as well, the states, and tried to contain it. And then they tried to study the aliens as well until there was that containment breach and a bunch of people were killed. And then you kind of fast forward to 2030 where now it's that future that you see in a lot of sci-fis where the corporations are what run the country kind of thing and you have a corporation that's by that's not to say that that's what happens here exactly but the corporations obviously have a lot of of power and they bought this satellite and they turned it into this talus one and then they're actually studying the aliens not just trying to contain it but study it do some testing try to enhance humans by using the alien technology which is then what leads to a lot of the clusterfuck that we see when you're watching the trailers and the gameplay for the game where we kind of step in at that point i thought this was awesome fantastic engaging backstory that does nothing but make you want to play through it and not just play through it but actually look forward to those flashbacks which no doubt they'll be referencing this stuff as well they had me at alternate history like if they didn't have me already i'm a huge history freak when especially when it comes to american history because there's a lot of interesting shit there uh, for such a young country and you see these moments, these huge moments, like, what if this happened instead? And that was always one of my favorite things to do in college when I was you know, studying history and, and talking with the professors and, and stuff like that is we would have these, these big think tanks and just these huge discussions of what if, you know, and here are the precedents for it. Here are different things that might have changed. Here's where the ripples could have been. This game is all about that. Yep. This game is 100% about that. Oh, God, I'm. I, this is nothing but just rev my engine for this game. I need this. I need this in my life. What I liked is that it's blending in the politics of the time with oh, yeah. the space program of the time and then playing with it because this has been referenced time and time again by uh, by modern scientists as well. You hear Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about it often when he talks about 
the the rush to get to the moon at the time and and how much it did for the people, how much it did for advancing technology, how much it gave hope to a society to, to have something to drive towards and whatnot. And then when NASA just kept getting cut after cut after cut, you lost all of that. This is actually looking at all of those politics of the time, but then throwing in this wrench of, oh, guess what? Fucking aliens are are on this thing now. And then you have the politics of, again, JFK working with the, the Russians to try to, to contain it, and then JFK taking control and then everything thereafter as well. So as a backstory to this that we'll be playing, again, I'm really hopeful that we'll get a lot more or get to experience it a little bit more in depth, these these flashbacks or these these explanations of what happened. We may not, but I'm still hopeful. And even if we don't, it's laying it's laying a credible even if you strip out the aliens part, <laughs> you can even say maybe borderline believable account of what may have happened kind of thing with a failed uh satellite launch kind of thing. So I I, I really dig it. Yeah, like like I said, everything on here just it ticks every checkbox I want for a game, and you're gonna be what if you guys watch me stream games. Well, I'm gonna be streaming this game as I'm playing it for damn sure. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. Okay, so that wraps it up for this extra long episode, but we had a ton of MMO news to talk about as well as some of the other stuff. So make sure to stop by the site at ForTheLore.com and you can leave us your comments there or of course you can leave them on iTunes and Stitcher as well. You can find us on Twitter at ForTheLore individually. Joe is Loaders at J, Vince is Simodian, and I am Zen Buddhist. And with that, we will talk to you guys next week. He talked and talked and I heard him say that she had the longest, blackest hair the prettiest green eyes anywhere and Marie's the name of his latest fame. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.